Wednesday. Welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Danny, And my name is Olivia. And we are your co-hosts. This is the first Wednesday and the first episode of Tay Learning since 1989 Taylor's version. Olivia, how do you feel about that? That's just wild. I can't believe that we already have it. I feel like this <laughs> this moment has been just a figment of my imagination for how the future will feel. And it's weird to sit here and know that she only has two re-recordings left. Same. I think that for me as a 1989 stan, I've kind of been building up this moment this past weekend, this re-recording in my head for four years since we knew that the re-recordings are going to happen. I've been looking forward to this. And so now that it's just happened, I, I've never been married before, but I have to liken it to the feeling that I imagine that brides feel the morning after their <laughs> wedding of like, oh, shit, <laughs> like it's done. This is all I've been looking forward to. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> done and it's just here. And in that scenario, oh, well, we're married. The job is done. And for us in this <laughs> scenario it's well the album's here I can listen to it I can enjoy it I can stop theorizing and panicking but at the same time part of the fun is the theorizing and panicking part of the fun of a wedding is planning and thinking about how it's going to be just using that metaphor as we go along here but I I just I'm so excited that we get to experience this and at the same time I'm having a really hard time processing that we're already here yeah it doesn't feel real (laughs) no it it just not. And we have a lot to talk about because you all have been messaging, asking our opinions, particularly mine, Danny's, hello, as a 1989 stan. And we definitely have them. Mm-hmm. That sounded so negative. It's not <laughs> negative. It's we not have good negative. feelings. We have okay feelings. It's hard with 1989 specifically, I think, for both of us, because this has been the most hype that has been surrounding a re-record personally for us. And yet... I feel like the Red TV re-recording a couple years ago had better promo and better just all-around vibes almost. I don't know. We'll we'll get into it. But in this episode, we are going to talk about our general feelings about the re-recording itself, the body of work that we're already familiar with and its re-recorded body. And then we're going to talk about the vault tracks, obviously, and mm-hmm. kind of dive into those and how we feel about them. And that's kind of the two parts that this is going to be split into. But before we jump into any of it, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll meet you right back here. So for those of you who listened last week, you know that I flew out to Michigan. I'm here right now, actually recording with Olivia. <laughs> <Yee>. crazy. <laughs> uh, I flew out to Michigan, and so we had this whole party set up, and Olivia did this great job decorating. We had 1989 balloons, the 1989 cake, the chai cookies, but decorated to look like the variants of the 1989 TV vinyls. <laughs> it was great. We dressed in all light blue, and it was amazing. And that, I think, built into the hype for me equally as Taylor Swift talking about how this was her most favorite re-recording and she can't believe she ever left those five vault tracks behind so while we started with the vault tracks listening i have to reframe my brain to jump to the second part of our listening experience Mm -hmm. which was the album that we already know yeah because that's definitely what we personally do for taylor's versions is we listen to the vault tracks first and then we go back and listen to the original album For this experience, we have learned kind of our lesson because we're on East Coast time that if we try to stay up and just focus on the body of work we already know, we'll fall asleep because it's so late. Even though we're interested, it's just so late here. I'm so jealous of you West Coast Swifties. But that being said, we decided, well, let's kind of multitask. We'll do some pictures and we'll eat our cake and all that stuff while we're listening to the original music. So it took us 
a few times through of the original 13 tracks to really absorb differences and positives and negatives. And we don't need to go through track by track, but I think that talking about the standout tracks of what people in general think got noticeably better, what people in general think got noticeably worse, and our personal feelings is a really great way to start off this conversation. And to that point, we also want to hear what you think. So keep that in mind as you're hearing us talk. Don't let your opinions be impacted by what we say. We want you to message us with what you think, because all of us have different opinions yeah. around this. Absolutely. Like there are some songs that people hate Taylor's version versus the original and some that are like, it's so much better than the original. Like it's music is always subjective. I think a really great way to kick this off is to talk about which song we think got the most improved. We might have different answers. We haven't talked about this yet. Uh, The most improved from the original, but we might have the same answer. We might. We might. Is it I Know Places? For me, it's I Know Places. (laughs) Absolutely. She threw everything she vocally had into Taylor's version. The growls, the passion. If you listened last week, you know, and honestly, for the weeks leading up to this, you know that a big source of anxiety surrounding 1989 for me personally is that there was so much vocal strain and passion to put into the vocals because she needed to do that in order to keep the music sounding very authentic to her when the lyrics aren't super specific to her life in a lot of scenarios. And I was really worried about I Know Places and I Know Olivia was too Mm -hmm. as a stan. And it was so well done. She pushed her voice enough to have those raw emotional like voice cracks that, you know, if you're a longtime fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say her emotional voice cracks. And I feel like on all past Taylor's versions where we expected the OG voice crack to kind of have like its moment in Taylor's version, she just polishes it over and there's no voice crack because her voice is significantly improved since some of these earlier albums. But she really like, she was having a good day, I guess, in the studio when she (laughs) recorded I Know Places. And with that being said, like, it makes me wonder if Wonderland was recorded on the same day as I know places because she nailed it in Wonderland too. Yeah, that's definitely runner up for me as well. Mm-hmm. God, it's crazy when we have the same opinions, but the Wonderland passion in the vocals definitely rival the original as well. Yeah. I just, I think that those two songs, the two that we were the most worried about, she overperformed on and did an excellent job. Absolutely. I have another runner up and this one kind of surprised me. I feel like how you get the girl Taylor's version is better than the original and if anything it's for the yeah yeah and the squeak on top of that i love it the vocal squeak so cute i love it we'll have to point that out specifically somewhere in our blog or on our website or on our tiktok i guess my like third runner-up was gonna be i wish you would yes I really liked the way that she did the I wish you would's like the uh, 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 I wish I wish I like I like how clean those are in this one. It's not that they were sloppy in the other one. It's just when you're comparing them side by side, you're like, wow, this was an improvement that I'm really impressed by. It's like crisp, crispy. Also, the blank space Taylor's version. 
I want to talk about it real quick because it did leak a few days before Taylor's version came out and people weren't that upset about it. Cause it's not like when vault tracks leak, like that feels really personal Taylor's version songs, even though it's still not great, it's not as bad as leaking entirely new material or unheard material rather. When I had initially heard a clip of the leaked version, don't sue me. Don't kill me. I, I listened to a clip <laughs> of the leaked version on uh, Twitter before even realizing it, honestly, because it sounded pretty similar, but it was definitely grainy. And at first I was worried. And then I remembered it was a leak. So when I got to listen to the actual Taylor's version of Blank Space, I was like, oh, this is also crispy. This is fresh. I'm enjoying yes. this. I like how sharp everything is. And I like the way she speaks the phrases of darling, I'm a nightmare, just like a daydream. Like they're different. They're just different enough that you can tell that they're different, but they're not worse. Yes. I feel like that's how I feel about the majority of this album that you can tell it's different, but it doesn't feel worse for the majority. Even some of like the fandom hot takes, I personally feel a lot more neutral about. I think that as with all re-recordings, there just hits a point where as a fan of Taylor Swift, you've listened to the music so much that it doesn't it doesn't really compute when you hear the new one. It almost sounds uncanny valley. And there are re-recordings before this that I think are way more uncanny valley. Like I think mm-hmm. there are some songs on Red or on Speak Now, Fearless Less So, that sound a little more AI almost than what we got with 1989. Like, Mm -hmm. I think she put a lot of intention into this album. And I don't think she's put this much intention into a re-record since Fearless. Yeah. And stuff like Fearless or When Debut comes out, there's been so much growth in her vocals since those two albums that it's harder to, like, register the differences as is this different because she's not record re-recording it properly or quote-unquote properly, whatever? Or is it just because of her vocal growth, she can't emulate what it sounds like to be a 16-year-old trying to be country girl, you know? Whereas with Red 1989 and Soon to Be Reputation, we will be able to pick up on those slight differences more because her vocals sound the most similar to modern day. Mm, For sure. And using Fearless and even Speak Now as an example, her vocals in Actually, I'll stick with spe- with a Fearless, excuse me, specifically mm-hmm. here. The vocals in Fearless are so noticeably weak compared to that of Fearless Taylor's version. And I don't think we really talk about that enough now because Fearless is not an overall fan favorite of people. It's most mm-hmm. of the time not in people's upper half. Sorry, Olivia, I know you're a Fearless fan. <laughs> but when you compare a side-by-side of even my favorite song on the album, The Way I Loved You, that was my favorite song even when I was younger from Fearless. And when I sit side by side, I'm like, damn, the original is almost unlistenable. Her vocals on 1989 were already great. So it's a lot harder to switch into a Taylor's version because it's not like, oh, these were wildly improved vocals. She did so much legwork to make her vocals better. She was already there. She just has a deeper, more matured voice now. Yeah. You know, I guess I disagree with you with Fearless because I'm a Fearless (laughs) fan. Fearless is my second favorite album. It's all about the nostalgia for me. and. I do prefer OG Fearless for everything, but like because there was over 10 years, I it's not like so close I could almost taste it, you know, and it's just is Taylor's version. And so like I'm comfortable like listening to it. But like for me, hearing like true raw emotion in a song is what gets me. So I don't care if her vocals are weak. I 
I subject that to emotion. And so it gets harder when on 1989, some of those emotions she's not actively feeling currently. And so like some of the songs end up a little bit lackluster, but it's because she has strong vocals, she can cover that up better. And that's totally fair because some people still will prefer the originals. And Mm -hmm. there is, in my opinion, nothing wrong with preferring the originals. Like, I don't think that that's bad. That's just having a specific taste. And (laughs) I don't know. I feel like in this era of being a Taylor Swift fan, it's hard to find a safe space in the fandom if you enjoy the originals more or if you want to stream the originals every now and then just to feel something. There's nothing wrong with that. We are not people who will think less of you for doing that because it's just... It's silly and petty. And yeah, while we overall support Taylor's versions, it's okay to have nostalgia and a soft place in your heart for the originals. And one day I think Taylor will own her original masters and this will be over. But the overall commercial success of the Taylor's versions is important. But of course, still enjoy the originals if you enjoy the originals. Yeah, especially if you do happen to have the CD or the vinyl and you have it, you can find the originals in podcasts, quote unquote, on Spotify. Mm -hmm. People have uploaded them so that you can still listen and enjoy them. If you don't want to stream and give your pennies to Scooter Braun or Scott Borchetta Mm -hmm. or whomever. So keep that in mind that having a preference isn't also bad. And, you know, in in our first couple of episodes, we talk about the master's controversy and why Taylor's re-recording her master's in the heart of all of it. But it's important to really hammer in that TMZ did report that Big Machine Records has a, quote, original production clause, which prohibits Taylor from making her new versions or Taylor's versions sound exactly like the originals. Mm -hmm. So to compensate, Taylor has to make sure that her new recordings are distinguishable from her older ones to avoid getting into even deeper legal trouble. So they have to sound different. They're close. She does a very good job of keeping it close, but discernible so that she's walking that legal line because she has to just to very, very carefully walk the tightrope of not pissing off anybody legally and getting herself into hot water even though she's never lost a lawsuit or on the left side you've got the fans who are like i want to make sure that this sounds exactly like what my nostalgia tells me it should sound like so i think she's doing an excellent job walking this line all in all and i'm overall very pleased with the taylor's versions but with 1989 there's a couple (laughs) we got to talk about yes First and foremost, this one doesn't bother me as much as it bothers a lot of people, but it is overwhelmingly one that people want to talk about, and it's style. Yeah. So style didn't, I didn't really notice out the gate. Something sounded wrong or off, but it didn't sound bad. Yeah, it just sounded like different. The guitar is a little like more muted almost. Somebody compared it to sounding like it was being played inside of a trash can. (laughs) And I don't think they were saying that as an insult. I think that was genuinely like how the echo came across. And I guess I hear those differences. I think that once you're past the intro, though, it's it's pretty good. So I don't see what people are talking about. With the exception of the bridge, when she does the just take me home lyrics, I wish that they had upped her vocals so that her vocals soared over the production and you could hear her voice better. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say, because the intro is like, it's whatever. The intro is over quickly and you can tell what they're that you can tell it's emulating the original. Of course, it has to sound slightly different. But for me, the epic bridge of style, like when I'm driving in the car and listening to Style OG, that part in the bridge just like 
overcomes me and I just feel like I'm soaring, you know? And Style Taylor's version doesn't have that same climatic effect, in my opinion, because it doesn't sound like she's just like reaching the apex of the song and just belting it out. She's just singing it. Yeah, that's a criticism that I totally understand. Mm-hmm. The next one we want to talk about is my favorite Taylor Swift song, and that's New Romantics. I'm warming up to it, but where did the children come from? <laughs> it sounds like kids, Bob. <laughs> where did they come from? So in the pre-chorus leading into the chorus, there's the ah, 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 And in the original, whether it was voices or a distorter over a synth, leading into it, it sounds like a mix of synth and of voices. And some people hear more synth and some people hear more voices. And that's the way that the lead-in has always been. In Taylor's version, it sounds like it was children. Like it sounds like she called up Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively and said, get your damn kids in the studio to do these vocals because it sounds like kids are shouting into the chorus i'll get used to it it's less egregious now that i've had some time to marinate with it but it's it was definitely off-putting the first time i heard it like i think you watched me visibly wins yeah for me the original sounds certainly like her voice that's just been edited and slightly distorted and the second one it doesn't sound like the voice is being edited it just doesn't sound like her voice it's off-putting, in my opinion. However, yeah. a lot of the production decisions that they make on the song, I really enjoy. I think kind of boosting the bass, which they do, makes it almost anthem style, which I really appreciate. And they, yeah. they boost the bass on several of these songs, like Welcome to New Welcome York. Welcome to New York, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the first time we heard Welcome to New York, that boom, boom. Boom, 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 but like an octave lower. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, that <laughs> came out of nowhere. I but, love bass, though. I'm happy with stuff like that. Yes, yes, same. So I feel like a lot of the almost anthem-like decisions that they made for New Romantics were great choices. However, the the children are off-putting, and I'm just going to have to learn to get used to it and try to not let it bother me when people say this sounds like Kids Bop right there. Yeah. And Danny, I remember you saying the other day that you feel like Out of the Woods is another major improvement as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I attribute that in in big, huge, huge part to Jack Antonoff was the original producer on Out of the Woods, which is mm-hmm. one of the best songs on 1989, probably one of the best in her whole discography, in my opinion. And so mm-hmm. since he came back for the re-recording... It was so easy for him to be like, I could have done this a little bit better this time. And her vocals are still crazy. The mm-hmm. bass is booming. It's anthem style. Out of the Woods got such an upgrade. I have no even desire to listen to the original necessarily. I don't need to. I feel fulfilled and more. I love that. Ugh. I do think Shake It Off, she sounds a little bored. Yeah, I don't like her talking interlude in Shake It Off, Taylor's version, as much as the original. But, like, I think we we talked about this. We did. I swear, we need to just, like, whip out hot mics right after we'd listen to it just to catch any first impression thoughts just to have as a recording. Because we talk like we do on the podcast to each other in real life all the time, which is Mm -hmm. why we have the podcast anyway. But right after we did our first listen through, we were talking about it. 
And we were like, I mean, yeah, the original sounds like she's 24 and means what she says. And now you can tell she's 33 and is not actively feeling like that anymore. (laughs) That is something that I think has benefits on this album and also drawbacks because every album too, like every single one, every single one, because she's got songs that she sounds bored on all the way back to the beginning of her re-recordings. I'm looking at you specifically, like we are never, ever getting back together. But I think that it's a drawback in a song like Shake It Off, where she really meant it in that moment of like, I shake it off, like haters gonna hate. And now I think she looks back on that and is like, great song for the time, kind of cringy now, or not necessarily how I feel. Inversely, Clean, I think, is so well done because, as, as a clean stand, my second favorite Taylor Swift song, mm-hmm. I think it's so well done because I believe every word she's singing. I think when she initially wrote, sang, recorded Clean, she didn't believe what she was saying. She was trying to convince herself to believe what she was saying. And convince the person it's about that she's over them. Exactly. And I kind of hear that in the vocals now when I compare them, especially. But I don't buy that she was over it by the time, especially with with context of the vault tracks, which we'll get into. Mm. I don't buy that she was over it. I do, however, buy that she's over it now, obviously. And I hear that in clean. Yeah. I'm trying to like scan the list to see if there's anything else I have that's stand out. For the ones we have not mentioned, that just means that there wasn't anything outstandingly great or outstanding, like a drawback. Like I think that Wildest Dreams we've talked about before because it was already had a TV. I think now the vocals of the original almost feel cheap compared to the Taylor's version. And that is a testament to when you listen to the new one enough, you get used to it. And I will say I'm someone that to this day, I have a really, really hard time telling the difference between original Wildest Dreams and Taylor's version Wildest Dreams. Like if I'm playing my Spotify and shuffle and I'm not hovering over my phone to make sure it's not randomly playing OG Taylor Swift. I don't catch that it's Wildest Dreams OG unless I'm halfway through and I'm like, hmm, I wonder which version this is. And I had to check because I cannot tell with Wildest Dreams. I think that Wildest Dreams is one of her best re-recordings just for like emulating the original alone because I can't tell. Doesn't necessarily improve in my opinion, but it's it's really damn close. When we were talking about Fearless way back in the day on like, I think the Let's Talk Fearless episode from season one, we talked about how when she was recording Fearless, re-recording Fearless, she would listen line by line to re-record it. And that's why I think Fearless does such a good job of being beat for beat. And the biggest noticeable difference is her vocal improvement. I don't know how much time she's had to do that with these re-recordings. Wildest Dreams and This Love had so much lead time before 1989 TV came out. It would not surprise me if she had the time and the dedicated energy to record a side-by-side and make sure that it was as accurate to the original as possible because those are two very good examples of being very tight and very accurate. So I wonder if those two songs got that fearless treatment, the side-by-side line-by-line treatment. I mean, while its dreams did come out in between Fearless and Red. Man, that was so long ago. Right? Oh, two years, we yeah. We've had Wildest Dreams for two years. That makes me feel sick. but we've gotten used to it you know so that it is what it is and then there's bad blood with kendrick lamar which we haven't really touched on she did release that the next morning and i think that it is great i think kendrick laid the house boots down the only noticeable difference for me is at the end when he says that you gotta live with the bad blood now like in the original he almost is like a ha like his signature voice and in this one it sounds like he's laughing you gotta live with the bad blood now (laughs) ha ha 
again, I love the visual of him being in the studio and knowing he nailed it and that being an organic response of you got to live with the bad blood now. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I was nervous that he wouldn't be willing to re-record and I'm just so happy to see people that she's collaborated with years ago still be down to collab with her on this project she has this habit of when she makes relationships with people they quite literally either like are together forever or collaborators forever or it goes down in flames there are a few exceptions i'm going to talk about one in just a second but she and kendrick had a great relationship Mm -hmm. no problems there so i'm not surprised at all we saw him leaving her studio in like may to me it's no surprise at all what if you just called kendrick up he seemed really cool with it but talking about people that i don't think it went down in flames no pun intended, pun fully intended, actually. There wasn't any collaboration here. And that's Max Martin. And yeah. I bring that up because a lot of people on social media are begging, like, oh, why didn't Max Martin come back? His original production is what made it so good. And no one really knows why, but there are a few theories. And I wanted to just gloss over them real quick of mm-hmm. why Max Martin isn't here for this project. There's three main theories. And number one is his production fees were ridiculously high. I couldn't find a number. Some people said it was somewhere in the $1 million mark for Ooh. each song not that taylor can't afford that but he also gets residuals for every single song and if for her it's about owning her work that doesn't feel like owning it feels her work. sticky yeah and and no shade on him it's his work too but he is fully within his rights to demand more than she is willing to give yeah it's within her rights to deny that number two taylor wanted to take a bigger role in her re-recordings martin and shellback We'll talk about Shellback in a second, but they did so much collaborating for her music and for mm-hmm. 1989. I think that having her own hand in those subtle differences really mattered. And if Shellback was the person that she wanted to partner with more for that, then I think she probably had to pick one or the other. And Shellback had a lower production fee and might have given her more creative freedom. And number three, he might have just said no. Martin and Shellback haven't worked together since 2019. He said publicly he wants to take a step back from producing. So maybe he literally just wasn't interested. He's like, I've already perfected it. I've already done this. You know what you're doing from here go off and do. And so that is kind of speculation around why we don't see Max Martin on the re-recordings, but we do see Shellback and we see a lot more Antonoff. Yeah, I was going to say, even on some of their collabs on Red Taylor's version, some of her more poppy hits off of that album, Max Martin didn't come back then either, but Shellback did. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if that's a relationship thing, like if things are better with Shellback. Again, I doubt that it is. I imagine Shellback might just have given her a little more creative freedom or just had lower costs. Or again, I don't know what happened between Shellback and Martin, but they haven't worked together in four years. But Max Martin said he wanted to take a step back from producing. So there might be no drama. It might just be he's like, I'm good. I've already done this. I don't need to do it again. Mm -hmm. Something interesting that I just noticed is Shellback came back for Red Taylor's version collabs. And he was a part of Wildest Dreams collab, which came out the same year. And that's the only song on 1989 that he came back for. He didn't come back for Shake It Off, Bad Blood, Wonderland, New Romantics. So that's just, I don't know, just kind of interesting, I guess. Like something, something happened, whether it's bad or just amicable, something happened since 2021. That's so interesting. It makes me wonder what's going to happen with Reputation. 
it does make me wonder what's going to happen with the reputation. But, you know, Jack Antonoff's hands were all over the original reputation album. So if he comes back and a lot of a Jack Antonoff again, I'm less bothered by that. And I like Jack Antonoff. But the bottom line when it comes to the production of the original songs is that things could have changed because she wanted them changed, right? It's entirely possible that there were things that bothered her on the original 16 tracks of the album that she's like, I can fix this this time, or I can change this this time. So yeah, she had to change it for legal reasons, but there's nothing to say that she didn't also change it because she just wanted to change it. I always think about that, especially in, you know, this era of Taylor's re-recordings, how fans, like you and I included, Danny, we do this often with our favorites, is the reproduction wasn't done right. It wasn't done the right way. But I can't imagine being Taylor Swift or her collaborator producers who built this song from literally nothing into what it is now and so they're aware of all the layers and how all those layers sound on top of each other whereas we just hear the song in its completed state so i guess i don't really blame anyone that works on it if they feel like that they're making improvements because they are hyper aware of the little tiny details of the song you're 100 right so now we're going to talk about the vault tracks plus the target bonus track, which we've heard before. And when we were doing our guesses about what the songs were going to sound like, <laughs> we didn't start with Slut. We waited for it for the end because it had so much hype around it that Taylor herself kind of built up. But today we're going to start with talking about Slut because it's the yeah. first one. Olivia, what did you <laughs> think when you listened to Slut for the first time? Yeah, I have a lot of feelings. And I feel like I had to preface explaining my feelings with I think it's a good song I'm gonna sound harsh on slut and it's not because of the song itself so with the song title for me it was giving I'm going to attack the patriarchy right here right now and I don't think that is at all what we got and Maybe that was the point, but I feel like if that was the point, it's a weak point. The whole song is basically just a love song, and the only time the namesake of the song is used is if they call me a slut, maybe it might be worth it for once. And I think that's clever, but not clever enough for the name of the song to be called Slut. I think the name of the song should have been like Drunk, because I know... Danny and I have talked about this off mic that the hook feels like it was originally Drunk in Love, which was a song that was by Beyonce that came out in 2013 that we don't think would have been cool or she would have thought would have been cool for her to do that given her past with Beyonce and Beyonce fandom and everything like that. So that's understandable. But she still could have called it drunk and it still would have had a kind of a clickbaity feel. And I feel like it would have fit the song. The song sounds like a love drunk experience, but calling it slut, I just expected more feminism from it than what we got. <laughs> Especially in terms of Taylor talking about in her behind the songs clip that she posted on Tumblr, she talks about how she was choosing between blank space and slut because both of them in her brain had a very similar feel, which was mm-hmm. sneakily, slyly calling out the media for what they were calling her. And picking blank space was mm-hmm. the best decision she's ever made. And she doesn't make it sound like in her behind the songs that it was truly a debate like she it isn't like oh it was almost this like how it was almost better man instead of all too well it sounds like she always was going to go with blank space but slut for me 
I, I agree with you that slut sounded like it was going to be this feminist anthem and it had so much potential to be and drunken love by beyonce came out as a single on december 17th 2013 and in my opinion some pop songs need to be retired like jersey numbers in sports when they're just that iconic and drunken love Mm -hmm. really is i think that she wrote slut when she was actively with Harry Styles, because that's what the lyrics sound like, which was long before Drunken Love came out as a single. But that doesn't matter because she could not have done that, even though I don't think it was originally going to be titled Slut, in my opinion. I agree. Absolutely. Yumi and Rebecca, for those of you who have not met Rebecca on the podcast, she is Danny's roommate. She is a guest on a couple of our past episodes, if you ever listen to our backlog. But we were chatting about this song in particular and ways that we kind of wish the lyrics would have tackled the idea of a song named Slut. And how cool would it have been if the whole thing was they call me a slut, but they don't call you a slut in reference to the guy that she's with or something like that, like kind of flipping it around, calling him a slut, like flipping it to show irony and kind of like how blank space is. The whole thing is satire, but she doesn't have to spell that out for you for it to be clever. And I just, I don't know, I was expecting something a little more artsy with slut shaming from Taylor Swift, I guess. I agree. But as for the song itself, it's very bedroom poppy. We know Mm -hmm. that it was produced by Patrick Berger and Jack Antonoff. And it's very dreamy, very whimsical, almost. And I don't, (laughs) I hate saying this because I hate sexualizing our girl when she is a person that I respect quite a bit. But this song is so horny. It's so in my brain, like, God, it's so worth it to have your hands on me or whatever it is she's thinking. And I think that the way that the song is produced evokes that. And I think part of the reason why this song would not make any sense on 1989, other than her feeling like it's California or whatever she said about it versus it being New York, I think that it is because it is so sexually charged and so <laughs> like romance filled and also so self-effacing what with they if they call me a slut so i just i understand why i didn't make the album i enjoy the song we will get into our 1989 vault rankings later like we promised on instagram but still i feel like if it wasn't named slut i would like it more I 100% agree with that. I like the song for what it is. I really like the song for what it is. I think that the line, if they call me a slut, would have had way more impact if it wasn't the namesake of the song. And I I think, in my opinion, personally, I think it was a little bit of a misstep because I feel like it distracted me from the point of the song the whole time. Before we move on to the next song, something, I think maybe it was Rebecca who said this, correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody, when we were talking about it, said that had the bridge taken it to almost like a campy level because it does the slut. But if it had gotten very almost meta or if the the word slut had been layered. It was like her break with being called a slut. And is it worth it for once or something like that? Like a little twist, like a break in like the love drunkenness, like something, you know, just something. Yeah, if she'd had a spoken word moment of, are you worth it if they call me a slut? And then go back would have loved that would have been the name of the song being slut would have made perfect sense to me or all of the shouts like it goes slut if it had been slut slut slut, and then they just like build up all in her head break for one second and then and they did they called me a slut there's something yeah there's just so much potential 
so much potential. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that she wasted the potential. I don't think that that's fair. I do want to point out, though, that a co-writer on this is Jack Antonoff, who she had recently began collaborating with. So I am curious if this is one of those songs that she did change when she was digging up the vault. Because if a co-writer is Jack Antonoff, do you think that she and Jack were close enough at the time for her to unpack this with him? They might have been. I don't know. But right. it, he co-writes it. He does on several other ones we're going to talk about as well. It's yeah. just worth bringing that up. So summary, I was let down by Slut, but I think it was only because of the name. I enjoy the song a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're moving into Say Don't Go, which was produced by Jack Antonoff and co-written with Diane Warren. Say Don't Go. We guessed two different <laughs> guesses. And Olivia was right. And I even said in our guest episode, Olivia is going to be right about this because mine made no sense. Because I had this idea of say something, don't go. And mm. you were like, no, it's say, say the words, don't go. And you were right. Yeah, it was exactly what I imagined it to be. I almost to a T like I can't picture what a Taylor Swift sound will sound like exactly. But it was the vibe that I was expecting from it. And I really like the song. We did a pretty good job when I was comparing our guesses to what actually happened. We did it together. A really good job guessing. And say don't go, I think after you explained your take on what you thought it was going to sound like, I agree with you. It's exactly what I kind of pictured this like up tempo, but also like kind of mid tempo and vibes. It's perfect for what it is. We're going to unpack this statement more the further we go into these vault tracks. But in my opinion, I think Say Don't Go is the only vault track that sounds like it belongs on 1989. I feel that. There's another one that I think kind of hits the vibes, maybe. Mm -hmm. But this one really does sound like it belongs on there. Ooh, one of my favorite parts of the song is, so she repeats over and over in the choruses, I say I love you, you say nothing back. And I love the part in the bridge where she screams, I say I love you. And it's silence. That is so well done. You're so right. Underrated moment in all of the vault tracks. Uh, And then the pickup in the chorus. I love when she does the silent pauses. And I love when she does the screaming. And it's also kind of giving, I love you, ain't that the worst thing you ever heard? I also really love the outro on this one. The, but you won't, but you won't, but you won't. It's so pretty, especially after having that very climactic bridge with the screams, this really big anthem style, and then drawing it back to the, but you won't, is amazing. Yeah, I really like the song. Next is Now That We Don't Talk, which is the (laughs) shortest song in Taylor's discography. This one is really fun for me. I like it a lot. I think it's really fun. I wish it were longer. I really enjoy Now That We Don't Talk. However, and this isn't a criticism necessarily. I am a Bleachers fan. I like Jack Antonoff quite a bit. I respect him and I like Bleachers music. This is a Bleachers song with Taylor Swift vocals. I don't think there is anything explicitly wrong with that. But it's so almost like indie poptimism is what I like to call it. Because Mm -hmm. even if the lyrics are kind of dark, it's so poppy and fun. I like the vocal risks that she takes of doing like the upward scale. The like, I really enjoy this song, but it is so short. I know I want it to be just a little longer because when I'm like, yeah, I'm driving to this, then it's just done. I can't believe how correct we kind of were in our theory 
of what it would sound like of her saying things and then finishing each phrase with, no, though, we don't talk. Not necessarily in that cadence, but we were like, as soon as I said, I I want her to mention things and then say, now that we don't talk. And you're like, wait, that makes so much sense. So I'm happy with how it turned out because I wouldn't have guessed it if that's not what I also low-key wanted it to be. And the outro, the I don't have to pretend that I like acid rock or that I'd like to be on a mega yacht. I would, but whatever, Taylor. With yep. important <laughs> men who think important thoughts. Like, drag his ass, girl. Guess maybe I am better off. Bella, we don't talk. I wanted to bring something up to you, Olivia, and even you, Tay listeners. So th- there's a lot of speculation about who all these songs are about, and we'll unpack that at some point. I'm very eager to do a From the Vault Harris Styles at some point. But the line of, I don't have to pretend I like acid rock. Acid rock is something that Harry Styles is notably very into, especially if you were a One Direction fan at the time. You knew what his music mm-hmm. taste was, which was very not pop. However... Jake Gyllenhaal, not Jiggle Hips, Jake Gyllenhaal were back. Also liked his indie records that were much cooler than hers. And it had me for like a brief moment, especially since he grew up very, very wealthy. Silver Spoon vibes, uh, Mega Yacht. It had me thinking, you know, not every album has been about one person necessarily. She calls back to Joe Jonas even on Red. What's stopping this song from being about Jake Gyllenhaal years later. Like, yeah, now I'm thinking about it now that we don't talk. I can see that. She calls out Jake Gyllenhaal's wealth growing up and privilege growing up and his affection for indie records that are cool and hip. Yeah, and um, the, the parallel that I'm thinking of is, or that I'd like to be on a mega yacht with important men who think important thoughts. That immediately made me think of I Bet You Think About Me with, well, you used to fit in with your upper crust circles. Yeah, they let me sit in back when we were in love. Oh, they sit around talking about the meaning of life and the book that just saved them that I hadn't heard of. Yeah, and the what do you tell your friends we shared dinners long weekends with in the bridge. I mean, I think of all too well 10 minute when they're in that cabin with all of his friends and holding hands at this dinner that she feels left out of. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing stopping it from being Jill and Holly. And again, who it's about matters so much less than the actual art it's created, right? But we've talked about this in the podcast before when talking about those who inspire her music. I think that knowing the lore or having an idea or an investment in the lore makes it better. In the same way for me as when somebody tells me how they cooked something that I'm eating, it makes the food taste better. That might not be true. That's Mm -hmm. totally in my brain, but it does. Knowing who cooked here so that she could make this, it matters. And some people feel the opposite way, and that's also valid. There's some people that don't want to know what's in their Caesar dressing because they don't like anchovies, and they would just rather not know. There's some people who don't care to know about her past, and that's fine too, but that's not us. Someone cooked here, and I want to know. <laughs> Next is Suburban Legends, which I was really, really excited about. I'm less yeah. excited now. Yeah, it's a fine song in my opinion. I know there's a lot of people who really like it, but... For me, it's just really weak. And I think it's weak for me because it's in the exact same key as the two songs it's sandwiched in between. And it just kind of like blends now that we don't talk and is it over now together. And I forget about it. Like if I had to sing Suburban Legends right now, I can't. I can. It's very catchy for me. I loathe entirely the lyric at the beginning. I let it slide like a hose on a slippery plastic summer. That gave me the ick out the gate and it was hard for me to get past. 
if I'm being honest, I mentioned in our guest episode that this might have been her first taste at doing something folklorian and not in the style of music, but in the creating these scenarios that are not real. And Olivia, you talked about how I think this might just be Taylor once again fantasizing about what her life might have been like had she not chosen the fame route. And I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, that's the vibe I got from it for sure. I don't. I don't find it particularly relatable. That being said, I imagine that it's going to sound so shady. I imagine (laughs) that people that married their high school sweetheart, which there's nothing wrong with, but grew up in suburbia, married their high school sweetheart and stayed in suburbia. I imagine this song hits so hard. There is nothing wrong with that life. I think that's literally the life that Taylor in this scenario is fantasizing about. For those who may or may not know, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I am a firm believer that Midnight Rain is not about Taylor Lautner or Tom Hiddleston. I think it's about a pre-fame relationship that she still thinks about to this day of, what if I chose that route in life instead of fame? What if I chose the normal picket fence life and I got married to my high school sweetheart, be it like I wanted to when I was writing my first album? What if that actually happened for me? What would my life look like now? With this song, Suburban Legends, I broke my own heart because you were too polite to do it gives. I broke his heart because he was nice. That's it. That's exactly what it gives me. That's the same exact vibe. Only this one is a lot more. I'm having a happy daydream about it instead of pacing at midnight stressing about it. Well, she's having a happy daydream about it up until the outro where she's making it very clear. The character in this story is making it very clear that they were not suburban legends. They didn't stay together, actually, Mm -hmm. because she broke her own heart because he was too polite to do it and then I dashed to your door you don't knock anymore and I always knew it that my life would be ruined it's a very interesting like almost shift in perspective as you're listening to the song because you get this idea of oh yeah they're high school sweethearts they're together and they're suburban legends and then the outro is like ah gotcha JK we didn't stay together. I appreciate that for what it is. Also, I want to take a moment right here to say somebody online pointed out that you know this song was written in 20, somewhere between 2012 to 2014 because Taylor Swift today would have dropped the nastiest, grossest F bomb in the, and you kissed me in a way that's going to screw me up forever. Today it would have been fuck me up forever. forever. (laughs) With like a lot of emphasis too. That was fuck me up forever. (laughs) Literally. But yeah, this is giving the same story as Midnight Rain to me, which does make me kind of like it a little bit more. But not as a song that I jam to, just a song that I appreciate the lyricism and drawing parallels to her other works. Also, worth pointing out, we know that Midnight's was inspired by Sleepless Nights from her past. Mm-hmm. We we know that. We know that she was digging up her old re-records and she was inspired. So I totally 100% see she was working on Suburban Legends and Midnight Rain came out of thin air. Yeah, the Midnight Rain side. is like the mature reflection of it, it feels like. Last of the vault tracks is Is It Over Now? Which, fun fact for those of you who haven't been paying attention, Taylor's team made it pretty clear out the get that they wanted Slut to be the single. And I really thought that they thought that Slut was going to hit. And then after a couple of days, Slut gets removed <laughs> from her website as a digital single. And Is It Over Now? gets sent to radio as a single. So they were paying attention to fan response. And a big part of Is It Over Now? is the reason that it's hit is because it is so overtly about Harry Styles that it's almost upsetting. Yeah. Like it's, 
obvious. <laughs> I love this vault track. I really like this vault track quite a bit. The beginning is straight up Labyrinth from Midnight. Yeah. I, like, they're going to be side by side. These songs are on the playlist on our uh, Tailoring Official Homework playlist. Don't forget to go look that up on Spotify. Just play the beginning of Labyrinth and then play the beginning of Is It Over Now? And it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> And then it's not the same song after that intro, but but that intro, though. Literally. And she just absolutely unleashes. She was so nice to Harry Styles in the original 1989. And even so, I still think that this song is pretty nice. It just sounds really honest. And I know why she didn't release it back then. It, it Directioners were crazy back in the day. They would have gunned her down. And I know this. I wouldn't have personally, but I know that people would have. And... I know that this song has a lot of general controversy of it, of like when he unbuttoned my blouse, like you search in every model's bed for something greater. T. Yep. If she's got blue eyes, I will surmise that you'll probably date her. You which was my mouth before it called you a lying traitor. It's so messy. Like it is by far the most raw that I think she is on any of her vault tracks. And to me, it seems like a complete and direct sequel to Out of the Woods. It's, I just love this song. And the bridge, like, we're going to do, like, a real true analysis, but I just want to do, like, a little mini first impressions because, like, every line just, like, gets me in a chokehold. Like, every single one is just so good. At least I had the decency to keep my nights out of sight. There were only rumors about my hips and thighs and my whispered sighs. Oh, Oh, Lord. (laughs) I think about jumping off a very tall somethings just to see you come running and so the one thing i've been wanting i'm that whole thing had me gagged because i saw a tweet and this gal was like she was so funny i wish i knew her at so i could credit her but she said honestly taylor swift in 2014 was so me in 2014 because i also would have attempted to jump from a very tall building to get harry styles attention The the whole thing scratches my brain. The rumors about my hips and thighs, talking about the, her body and the whole dysmorphia and problems that she had. And then the whispered sighs, oh, Lord. Oh, I interpreted that a little different. What did you interpret that as? I interpreted that at least I had the decency to keep my nights out of sight, implying that he was hoeing around in public. And on her end, there are only rumors about her hips and thighs and her whispered sighs, a.k.a. her sex life. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what's super interesting? I can't wait to break this song down. But when I'm looking at it and cite that analyzes lyrics, it straight up says these lines have two simultaneous meetings, Taylor's love life and her eating disorder. So we each <laughs> heard one yeah, version. I didn't read that at all. <laughs> oh, my God. We each heard one version of it, this double meaning phrase. That's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and you know what else is crazy? My what? whispered sighs. What if you hear that as S-I-Z-E, her size, my whispers, my hips and thighs and whispered size. I know it's S-I-G-H-S, like you heard it, but if someone heard it as my whispered size, because physical size. Interesting. Anyway, I really like the song. I want to do a full breakdown of it. We will do a full breakdown of it. I think it's great. I'm still reeling about when we were listening to it. And it's the, you lost control. And I was like, of the snowmobile? And then she said, red blood, white snow. And I was like, oh, yeah, God, I know her. And then she follows it up to just steal the deal with the blue dress on a boat, which is the most iconic Taylor Swift meme of when her and Harry Styles broke up. Uh huh. I do want to say, interestingly, 
somebody pointed out online that the song question from midnights Mm -hmm. what if the question is is it over now since we're fairly certain question is about harry styles so earlier i referenced about how i thought that now that we don't talk could have been about harry styles or jake gyllenhaal but the harry styles theory is held up by question some people think that the question from the song question is is it over now but also question sonically fuses perfectly with now that we don't talk now that we don't have moon Moon eyes eyes. and we know that she likes these motifs with these men that she carries throughout her songs and so and friends too for that matter so i just think that that's interesting i agree i can't wait to like break these down more so last but not least we have sweeter than fiction which was on the target bonus track and we've spoke about this song a little bit before we talked about it in our season premiere of this season because it was associated with the soundtrack. Sweeter Than Fiction is not a song that I love. Yeah, same. I mean, it's fine. I think the production on Taylor's version improves quite a bit. Again, it's an original Jack Antonoff track. It was their first ever collaboration. So, of course, he can improve on it. But the unnecessary key changes, the lyrics that don't totally jive with me, it is not my favorite, but I'm glad they had fun. Yeah. I mean, every song needs a Taylor's version eventually. Every song will need a Taylor. Where's Crazier? Where were you, Crazier? I bet it will come on debut. There's no way. Crazier is one of her bigger ones, in my opinion, of like her movie soundtrack songs. But I don't know if that's just because it's my favorite. Well, Insider ranked Sweeter Than Fiction as Taylor's sixth best soundtrack song, but notably because it was, quote, a pivotal moment in Swifty in history, because it's the first time that she and Jack Antonoff collaborated, and I guess she had a good time doing it because she still loves him. So there is that. It's fine. It's an improvement, but the original wasn't outstanding as it was. Yeah, it was okay. I feel neutral. I wish there was another bonus track on the Target edition in addition to that. All right, so it's time to talk rankings for the vault tracks. We're not going to include Sweeter Than Fiction in this because it's not a vault track and we've heard it before. What is your number five? Suburban Legends. Same. It's all right. I haven't seen a whole lot of people say it's their favorite. We pulled you guys on the Instagram and we asked what you all thought and what your rankings were. And I don't think a single person put Suburban Legends as their number one as of right now, as of the point of recording. So there's that. It's my number five as well. It just doesn't stand out to me as much as the others do. What's your number four? My number four is Slut. My number four is also Slut. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it would be rated higher if it weren't named Slut. I don't know. I need time with it to like truly feel it out and determine how I truly feel about it. I'm still off put by feeling misled. On our Instagram, only one person ranked Slut as their number one. It overwhelmingly was people's number three, four, and five. I get it. I love the dreamy pop ballad part of it, but there's just better ones. And that's where we're at. Yeah. What's your number three? So my number two and my number three have been flip-flopping all weekend. And I feel like I finally feel strongly that my number three is now that we don't talk. All right. My number three is say don't go. And I also have the two and three flip-flop issue. But I think that say don't go just if it had more of a driving beat, and it still does for its sad topic, but I think Mm -hmm. if it had a bit more of a driving beat, it might be a little higher. My number two with that being said is Say Don't Go. And I think it overcomes now that we don't talk because despite the lack of a driving beat, 
I feel the emotion way more in Stay Don't Go than now that we don't talk. And I feel like it overall wins for me. Totally fair. That being said, my number two is Now That We Don't Talk. And I almost, I agree with you. She has a lot more emotion in Stay Don't Go. But mm-hmm. something about the pettiness in Now That We Don't Talk, I feel that. Now That We Don't yeah. Talk. Yeah. It's- <laughs> It's so sassy and so quick. And I really appreciate it. My biggest complaint literally is that it's not too, or it's not long enough. Yeah, I wish it were longer. So that means we have the same number one as a lot of people on our list, by the way. Is it over now? I will say, is it over now? Well, that's our favorite. A big majority of the fandoms, not big majority maybe, but a lot of people's in their upper half or their favorites. In our personal comment section, the most popular number one was Say Don't Go. I think. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. Somebody put Say Don't Go as their number one and Is It Over Now as their number five. <laughs> oh my God. I, I love know. that over now. I love the pettiness of was it over when she lay down on your couch? Was it over when he unbuttoned my blouse? Come here. I whisper in your ear in your dream as you passed out. It's just, it's, it's so just, good. I think the writing is good. Production's it, good. Gosh, there's just so much confidence in everything she says in this. And she's like, I know you're picking other women over me, but I know that you dream about me or you accidentally call them my name. I know you do. <laughs> well, I think this album is just untouchable. I do think it's the pop Bible. I'm still impressed. I wanted more from the vault tracks, but more might not be the right word. When I think more, I think that a lot of 1989 is so anthemy, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. And I was hoping for more of that, especially with the way that she hyped it up. And we didn't really get yeah. that. I just, it's not that I feel misled. I just think that it's going to take some getting used to that a lot of the yeah. ballads or big emotion songs that she left off of the original album she put in here in the vault tracks. I was expecting more 1989 and we got a lot of almost midnights. Yeah, it almost feels like we didn't get almost made the cut vault tracks we got here's a glimpse of what i was actually going through that i masked for the sake of 1989 what is that tweet that i saw um 1989's vault tracks are like when mom sits you down finally and tells you what happened and why you got your parents got divorced (laughs) like yep I'm I'm with you. And I think that all of these tracks could belong on another album. I think that Suburban Legends almost sounds like it could be 1989, except it's... The concept could be 1989. Yeah. With with that being said, I could hear Slut on Lover in my head. I could hear Is It Over Now easily on Midnight's. Like, these all Mm -hmm. could go somewhere else. Now That We Don't Talk almost has I Forgot That You Existed vibes in some ways. So that could go on Lover. Like, these songs do not sonically mesh great with 1989, but that doesn't make them bad. Red was a sonic mess, and it's a great album. But it's just like, Red originally was kind of a sonic mess. That's what I expected. I didn't have, like, a theme in my brain when it came to the vault tracks. Same thing with Speak Now in my brain Speak Now isn't a sonically cohesive album either I was kind of expecting a sonically cohesive vibe like Fearless all those songs sound like they could be on Fearless like if she had chose them to be on Fearless I am eager to see what the reputation ball tracks are going to bring what if they're just like slow and emotional because she didn't really do slow emotional songs mm-hmm. and reputation to have protect her feelings like huh i'm nervous and we mm-hmm. haven't really talked about it but i know that there's a theory that reputation's coming on november 10th i don't buy the theory but i want you I all to know yes we've seen it yes we know it's possible i'm not ready to clown no she just put out a single she wants to break records and competing yeah. with herself is not the way to do it. I know that there's the theory about 
she'll just surprise drop it because there will be no explanation. There will just be reputation. I don't personally think she would risk it for the drama this time around because that's not the point. The point isn't the drama or the vibe of these albums. The point is her re-recording project and the anticipation of her re-recordings happening. This isn't the reputation era and she's not going to emulate the reputation era because she hasn't done that for any era except for Red. And I think that was like a testing the waters of how big she can make the re-recording project. I do wish that she had a little bit more promo for 1989. I wish we'd seen her on talk shows and that she had given it kind of the red TV treatment. And I'm wondering why she hasn't. But at least we're seeing her out and about now. Looking at you, Travis Kelsey. Thank you. So, (laughs) and she's about to get back on tour. We're going to see her around, but. Oh my God. It's going to be weird to have the heiress tour every weekend again, or most weekends. What did you, Taylor, in this week? I learned that there's a theory that now that we don't talk is about Jake Gyllenhaal and it low-key makes a little sense in some lines and that's really, 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 really intriguing. For what it's worth, there's not a theory. I came up with that one all on my own. I have well, there's a theory now. It's my theory. No, someone else has probably talked about this. I just haven't seen it. I learned that Shellback only came back for Wildest Dreams. I did not know that he only came back for Wildest Dreams. In my brain, he came back for a handful and he did not. I'm nervous for reputation, but I'm really excited. I think I, I hate to be doing the thing where like, we just got to re-record and now I'm thinking about the next one. But I mean, I can't help it, you know, naturally. Like it makes you think about the future. For me personally, I think reputation is the one that I'm anticipating the most throughout this whole process. Otherwise it probably would have been fearless, but we kind of got that out of the blue and we weren't expecting anything And like fearless TV era wasn't really anything. And I didn't know what was going on. You know, I didn't have time to get anxious about fearless, even though I, I was nervous. But for me, like reputation was just this far off. We have three albums to go before we even get to considering reputation. And now it's just here and that yeah. doesn't feel real. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we are bringing back our Mental Cages series where we talk all of Taylor's songs about anxiety or depression or any other mental struggles. And to kind of extend this 1989 TV era on our podcast, we are going to do none other than Out of the Woods because if that isn't an anxiety song, I don't know what is. This has been fun. Yeah, we have 1989 Taylor's version. Yay! We're so glad you all are here. Remember, you can always email us, follow us, yada, yada, yada. Our email is taylearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at taylearningpodcast. We're on Twitter at taylearning. And check out our website, taylearningpodcast.com. And we really, really want to hammer in. This community is better the bigger it gets. So please, 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 if you feel it in your hearts, share this episode or your favorite episode or what have you with somebody in your life that you think might like it and give us a rating, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, give us a rating. It doesn't have to be five stars, but if you're thinking about giving us a rating, I really hope that that's it. (laughs) Same. We will see you all next week. See you later. I would stay forever if you say